play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. And this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, Joanna Rohrbach. Okay, now we're going to step up the pace a little bit with the Prancer-sized truck. It's really hot. Joanna is the creator of Prancer-size, the exercise routine that burst onto the scene on Christmas Day 2012 and immediately cemented itself into pop culture. Prancer-size, by definition, is a springy, rhythmic movement forward, similar to a horse's gait, ideally induced by elation. And the way I came up with the definition was I incorporated dance, prance, and exercise together. The original Prancer-size video has more than 15 million views, and in it, you will see Joanna, who from the waist up, looks ready to go to the office. She's wearing a nice pink top, costume jewelry, her hair is done, but below the waist, she's wearing workout clothes and she's prancer-sizing through a park. We're gonna really cut the noose and let it loose with the prancer-sized gallop. The top comment on the YouTube page very accurately says, here is someone who doesn't try to be anyone but herself. Now, if you're not familiar with prancer-size, You will enjoy this episode so much more if you hit pause, go to YouTube, watch about, I don't know, just 20 seconds of the video, then come back and settle back in for the episode. Later in the show, I chat with TSA spokeswoman Lori Dankers about all the crazy foods that people bring through TSA during Thanksgiving week. And she confirms what I thought was true. What happens to all of the loot that gets confiscated? We don't get to enjoy them, you don't get to enjoy them, and we pay to dispose of them. That's a lose-lose-lose. But first, my conversation with Joanna Rohrbach. So I want to start at the beginning to hear your whole story of how this evolved. So let's go back to, if what I read is correct, 1989, that's when you became a committed exercise devotee. Is that right? No, I've been a committed exercise devotee for probably... The better part of 47 years, okay? Now, I became very fanatic about exercise when I broke up with um, my ex-fiance, who was a dentist. It's all in my book. And I felt very liberated and wanted to get into the best shape I ever was in. I customized my own cross fitness program. Just coincidentally stumbled upon what would be prancer size. What I would do is I'd start out very early in the morning when it's cool and nice and quiet. When I was living on the beach, there was an area called the Broadwalk on Hollywood Beach. It was a paved walkway where many people uh, exercised. And I would start out with spot exercises with ankle weights. And, and then I would go out and ride the bike with ankle weights on against the wind. And then I would power walk with my headphones on. And uh, the whole program was about two and a half hours. What happened was one day I heard a really good song on what was the Walkman at the time. I started moving very rhythmically forward in a certain fashion, which was to become prancer size. And I enjoyed it so much, and I seemed to get an awful lot of attention 
that I decided, you know, there's something to this. So the end of 2012 was a big year. So I read that you completed a 5K entirely in Prancer size. And then on Christmas Day was your big release. So talk about what inspired you to release it then after all these years of working on it. Why Christmas Day? I shelved it for many years. I had a health issue that I basically cured myself of. You know, I was bedridden, you know, wheelchair-bound kind of. And so it took me the better part of nine years to to cure myself. I refused to do it conventionally. I, I did it on my own with certain therapeutic nutrition, which I'm very adept at. As I healed, I was able to do a little more and more. And by the time 2012 came around, I had gotten myself back to where I could do a 5K. And um, the reason I brought everything out at that point, it was a combination of being excited about being able to move again and exercise again. And how could you not be excited when you've healed yourself and you uh, have this great program that you know you were so passionate about? A few months after her video went live, Prancer size went viral. And, and are you surprised at how this has taken off? Oh my God, I'm flabbergasted. You're flabbergasted. Woke up almost in shock when I saw all the hits on the YouTube. Joanna was a guest on the Today Show, Dr. Oz, Steve Harvey. So you, you're going to teach me how to prancer size. We got our weights in place, and if the music's ready, I am. She was in a John Mayer music video and a pistachio commercial. Ready to crack exercise? Let's stop yakking and get cracking. And cramp. There were a lot of people that laughed at it and made fun of it and did parodies of it and stuff. And how did you deal with that? I mean, you know, no matter how thick your skin is, I think it's hard not to have your feelings hurt a little bit by some of that stuff. Well, it was something I took seriously. And I was kind of surprised of all these other, you know, reactions like you're talking about. But then when I got to understand the Internet better and the media better and ulterior motives and agendas people have... You know, it was uh, understandable. I accepted it, you know. I went on and just had fun with it like they were having, you know. So <laughs> it wasn't something that crushed me or nothing. No, not at all. Along with her exercise routine, Joanna has an eating routine. She is 100% a creature of habit and eats basically the same thing every single day. I eat oranges, green apples, uh, bananas, and coconut every day plus raw calabasa squash jicama i make a, a salad with cabbage jicama tuna uh, steamed potatoes healthy mayonnaise dark mustard you know black pepper garlic powder cider vinegar you know with the mother in it carrots celery uh sweet onions or white onions what else is all of this in that one bowl yeah. Okay. I, I don't make a single serving. I make enough for, you know, a few days. Okay. I eat a lot of potatoes. I don't eat bread. I don't eat gluten. I don't eat pastas. I eat potatoes. It's all kinds of potatoes. Sweet potatoes, roasted potatoes. Oh, I eat pumpkin seeds. I think that's pretty much it. You know, I eat very well and I eat every day and I eat only relaxed. I never eat on the run. I never snack. You know, I just uh, eat it one full, full meal. And that's it. Under very relaxed conditions. Otherwise, forget it. It sounds like you're a pretty big creature of habit. Yes, very much. Good habits or bad habits. I got rid of the bad habits in my life. Bad men, bad habits. And now I'm just very balanced out from that. 
She traded bad men for a big old salad with potatoes and healthy mayonnaise. Last year on Twitter, Chrissy Teigen blew my mind when she found a way to get a particular food through the TSA checkpoint at the airport. I will tell you all about it when we come back. Just a ferry ride away from Seattle is the Kitsap Peninsula, a land of gorgeous forests, sparkling water for kayaking and stand-up paddleboarding, and adorable seaside towns with locally-owned boutiques and family-owned restaurants. I have done so many day trips to the Kitsap Peninsula, wine tasting on Bainbridge Island, a girl's trip to Paul's Bow, ice cream and architecture in Port Gamble, watching the seals play from the beach in Port Orchard, and I still haven't seen it all. If you're like me and like off-the-beaten-path places where the locals vacation, you are going to love the Kitsap Peninsula. And this month, we're talking about Bremerton and Silverdale. So Bremerton is known as a naval town, and there are museums if you're into the big ships. But the restaurant scene has been really growing over the past several years. Grab a bowl of clam chowder or homemade lumpia at Bremerton's veteran-owned Axe and Arrow. And visit a land and gardens to see meticulously trimmed bonsai and a tree that has been around since 300 BC. Plan your visit. Go to visitkitsap.com slash meal. You can also find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. If you like listening to Your Last Meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. When I was a kid, and this might be your family story as well, when my family went to the movie theater, Sometimes my mom would sneak in a bag of microwave popcorn in her purse. Beyonce and Hillary Clinton carry hot sauce in their purses. But Joanna goes a bit more hardcore than that. Tell me about this story when you went to Aruba with your ex-fiance and you brought your own food with you. Yeah. Now that ex-fiance was the one that I felt liberated from. So this took place before I invented Prancer Size and all. We were engaged. We were going to Aruba for a vacation. He was real yuppie, conservative type. I was determined. I used to always be very careful about my diet at that time and all. I was very slender. And so I took with me foods that I felt I needed in my diet all the time. I made these wonderful bran muffins. Everybody raved about them. And then I baked like a whole bunch of sweet potatoes and, and put everything into a big black like trash can liner, okay? And you just can't imagine. Here we go with our luggage and everything, and I've got this big, huge black garbage liner full of tins of food. And customs almost had a fit. So, so they, you know, after begging and pleading with them and everything and showing them I wasn't, like, you know, like doing anything nefarious, they let me through in Aruba. So wait, you had bran muffins, you had baked sweet potatoes, is that right? Yeah, that's it. So then would you bring this food into the restaurants, or is this just what you would eat, like, where you're staying? Both, probably. 
I know I used to bring muffins into the restaurants all the time. And would you <laughs> would you not order anything, or you'd have to get one thing so that? Oh well, yeah, no, that would just be like snacks and and little side orders and stuff. I I would order you know uh, regular food. Maybe I'd have the bran muffin for dessert or something. This story reminded me of something that supermodel and cookbook author Chrissy Teigen posted on Twitter last year. She was about to go through TSA with a plastic container of cold homemade gravy. Here's the video she tweeted. This is gravy. We're trying to get it through security. What do you guys think? Is it a liquid or a gel? Or is it gravy in a solid form? The gravy is cold and congealed and one jiggly mass. So even when she turns the container upside down, nothing drips out. But the next video confirms the gravy did not make it through TSA. But Chrissy discovered a loophole. The video shows her on the floor in the airport mixing the gravy into another container of homemade mashed potatoes. Now, I just want to point out that this video was in June. These are not Thanksgiving leftovers. So she mixed it all together and tried to go through security again. Bye, gravy. <laughs> Her next tweet says, results. Cold gravy is allowed if you mix it with mashed potatoes. Ladies and gentlemen, Chrissy Teigen cracked the TSA gravy loophole. Now, I have thought about this mashed potatoes and gravy loophole many times over the past year. Every time I go to the airport, I actually think about it. And I wonder, what else could you pull off? You can't bring a bottle of salad dressing through security, but you can surely bring a dressed salad. A jar of peanut butter wouldn't make it through, but of course you can bring a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I wanted to get some official answers. My name is Lori Dankers, and I'm a spokeswoman for the TSA, and I happen to be based here in the Seattle area. I told Lori about what Chrissy Teigen had done. I don't actually think there's a way to get around it. I think in this particular case, I'm not going to make a judgment call on this particular passenger's mashed potatoes. If somebody brings uh, mashed potatoes to the security checkpoint that frankly are a solid because they're not so smooth and delicious, that's a different thing. It just depends upon the consistency of the item. So if you're thinking of traveling with something like mashed potatoes, does it hold its form? If it does not, it needs to adhere to the liquids restriction. Now, in terms of the gravy, mixing the gravy into the potatoes, that's a little bit of a, um, I'm a little puzzled by that. But what I'm going to say is if you have a delicious recipe for gravy, don't take your chances. Either bring it in that smaller quantity or bring the sauce packets that you need or the raw ingredients that you need and make it at your destination. Don't count on getting through the security checkpoint because gravy should not be a solid. Long answer short, I wouldn't try it. Let's talk about spaghetti. So you couldn't bring through a jar of marinara sauce, but if you had spaghetti that was dressed in a tomato sauce, could you bring that through? Yes, you could bring that through because uh, that would be, well, of course, depending upon how much sauce is on your spaghetti. But let's just say it was a normal amount of sauce that had been mixed in with the spaghetti and it was clinging to the noodles itself, it would be fine. However, if the if the noodles are just sitting in the sauce like noodles in soup, that would not be permitted because you would, once again, it would not be able to hold its original form. It's fairly simple. I, I will tell you, I would not recommend that people try to circumvent this rule by mixing things together in hopes of coming through the security checkpoint. It's really not a good plan A. This week, Thanksgiving week, 
TSA officers watch as a parade of foods march down the belt. It is true, it is not myth, that people do bring turkeys. They'll bring fresh turkeys, frozen turkeys, 25-pound turkeys to the security checkpoint. As long as it fits into the x-ray tunnel, we're happy to screen that. What about canned cranberry sauce? Is that considered a gel? So that's a good question. So canned cranberry sauce, canned uh, sweet potatoes, yams, all of that. If the container is more than 100 milliliters, that 3.4 ounces, you cannot bring it, even if it is unopened. I can tell you the reason for that is because um, a container can look like it hasn't been tampered with, but it in fact has been tampered with. That's why we have that blanket rule. So people need to adhere to that. Okay. Have you ever seen somebody trying to get around it by, for example, having, you know, maybe five or 10 of those little 100 milliliter containers and filling each of them with marinara sauce or gravy or salad dressing or something just like a way to get it on, but with multiple containers? Well, let's put it this way. If it fits in a quart size Ziploc bag, they're going to be allowed to do that. But at some point that bag will be full and our officer will give the traveler uh, the uh, opportunity to either check the additional ones or give them to a non-traveling friend or place them in their car. They will not allow unlimited quantities of those. But that is a creative workaround, but I would not recommend that either. I've wondered this. I'm sure others have as well. So how did you get to that number, the 3.4 ounces? Is that not enough if this was a dangerous liquid? to make something happen? Why is 100 milliliters allowed? Because at that time, they were able to determine that that quantity of liquids, even if mixed with other liquids, because keep in mind, we're asking people to keep their liquids within a one quart Ziploc bag. So it's not an unlimited quantity of 100 milliliters, that that would not cause catastrophic damage on a plane. There's no way that that limited amount of liquid explosive if, if someone did try to bring it onto a plane, would be catastrophic in nature. Is there any kind of, you know, psychological, emotional training that has to be done with TSA officers because people get so upset and emotional? I will speak from personal experience that several years ago, I came back from Italy and I had all of this pesto and it all got confiscated. I cried at the gate. I was so upset. It's my vacation. This is my souvenir. I was sobbing. I thought, oh, of course they're going to let me through. They didn't let me through. You know, they took it all. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's acted like a giant baby. Like, is this part of training of how to deal with people? Yeah. So I wouldn't say it's training necessarily for their emotions, but they're given tactics so that they can then handle the passenger's concerns to be responsive to that, to make sure they provide them the options and let them understand that this is not personal towards them. That can be very hard. Sometimes we know how it feels when we tell somebody what the rules are and they come right back at you. Um, I would just ask people to think about that and think of the role that they're in and keep in mind that they have one job to do and it's actually to protect you and your security. You know, they, they know what they're getting when they, when they apply for the job and they know what they're getting into when they come to work every day. And uh, unfortunately, it happens a lot, but, but they're well equipped to deal with it. Hi, it's the Pesto Baby here. So I have to add that last year, producer Laura went to Cinque Terre, Italy, which is the motherland of the world's best pesto. This is where I bought all of my pesto that was confiscated. And she very sweetly bought me a replacement jar of the exact same pesto, the same brand that I had bought. And this made my damn month. So thank you, producer Laura, who is now working from home and can no longer talk to me in the studio.
Okay, back to Lori and holiday travel. A question we frequently get this time of year is about pecan pies. Is that allowed? The answer is yes. It may need some additional screening. We'll never touch your food. They like to bring through leftovers, especially right after a holiday. They'll have a plate with foil over it. All of that would be pretty normal if people are returning home from their parents' house or their grandmother's house and they want to take some of that good cooking home with them. We're ready. We expect that. We see it all the time. And then last thing I wanted to point out is that if you are bringing a green bean casserole uh, to your destination, please don't come to my house. I don't like those and I won't let you in. (laughs) Ooh, I like that ending. That's good. All right. We know what Joanna Rohrbach eats every single day, but is that meal her last meal? Stick around. You're about to find out. What would you like to eat for your last meal? Okay. I was going to start with dessert, but I'll start with the appetizer. Is that what you'd like me to do? You can do whatever you want, whatever order you want to eat it in. You can tell me however you'd like. Okay. The appetizer I would have would be a type of salad, portobello mushrooms, heirloom tomatoes, fresh mozzarella, authentic imported, roasted garlic, balsamic vinegar and olive oil, and fresh basil, like a dressing or a vinaigrette. For the main course, I would like either eggplant rollatini or eggplant parmesan, thick slices of eggplant, then again, the mozzarella being imported and very fresh, and um, a homemade Roma tomato sauce, very uh, authentic. And... um, I would like uh, maybe a glass of Merlot with that. I would like for dessert, it doesn't have to be a large meal. (laughs) For dessert, I would love a warm, out-of-the-oven, buttery fudge brownie with a light layer of chocolate frosting on top and walnuts in it. On the side, I would have, like, vanilla bean gelato, nice and cool to offset the... uh, warm brownie. And that was was pretty much it. My last meal. For the main course of her last meal, Joanna wants eggplant parmesan. Now, if you listen to our chicken parmesan episode with actor Zach Braff, that dish is purely Italian-American. It does not exist in Italy. Just like spaghetti and meatballs is an Italian-American invention. But eggplant parmesan is not only an iconic Italian-American dish. It goes back to the old country. It's basically fried eggplant that's layered with sauce and bechamel and then baked. That's eggplant parmesan, and it consists of parmesan cheese, mostly. Some people use mozzarella cheese, and of course the recipes get varied, but it's an eggplant casserole. And I tend to deep fry the eggplant until brown and crisp. Are you doing flour, egg, breadcrumbs? No. No, it's interesting. A lot of Italian Americans do that, and I don't do anything to it. I don't flour it. I kind of do it in the Mediterranean style, which is just plain. That's Clifford Wright, food scholar and author of the cookbook, A Mediterranean Feast. 
This is Clifford's second time on Your Last Meal. He was a guest when the podcast was a teeny tiny little baby back in 2016 on episode two featuring Chris Ballou from the Presidents of the United States. So it was so nice to have him back on the show to talk about the history of eggplant parm. In the 18th century, there was a Neapolitan chef, sort of the famous chef of the era, called Vincenzo Corrado. He wrote a book called El Cuoco Galante, which was published in 1786. And in there, there's an eggplant that can be cooked a la parmigiana, meaning it's an eggplant that's seasoned with butter and herbs and cinnamon and other spices and grated parmesan cheese. And then it's covered with a cream sauce made with egg yolks, and then it's oven baked. So that's really the first written eggplant parmesan that we've got the late 18th century. But Clifford is very clear that that was not when the dish was invented. One of the things we should always keep in mind when we talk about dishes as opposed to foods is we are curious about where a dish was invented. And let's just stop right there. Dishes are really never invented. They're evolved. So all dishes evolve from something that came before. So pizza was not invented. It evolved from something else. Now, there are dishes that get invented. Avocado toast, I suppose, is, is an invented dish. Avocado toast did not exist 20 years ago. It did, uh, though. People have been making it forever. It just wasn't something you would spend $15 for at a fancy cafe. <laughs> you that's know? a good way of putting it. Because I mean, if, if you're from California, especially Southern California, and you had an avocado tree, definitely somebody was mashing up some avocado on some toast 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's very, it's very funny. It's the same way with, with yogurt. You know, yogurt 50 years ago was so exotic that it was not found in supermarkets. Mm. You'd have to go to a health food store. And uh, my favorite story is about Greek yogurt, which became very popular uh, some years ago. I've written about Greek food, and I had never heard of Greek yogurt. And then I learned it's a marketing term for an already existing product, which is strained yogurt. And curiously, Greek yogurt is not eaten by Greeks. It's eaten by Arabs and Turks. Okay, so eggplant parmesan evolved. It wasn't just poof, invented. But using history as a guide, Clifford knows about when it could have come onto the scene. So eggplant didn't come to Italy until the Arabs brought it by way of Sicily in the late 14th century. And secondly, it required ovens. And ovens didn't exist in homes until a couple of centuries after that. So... It's unlikely eggplant parmesan goes back that far. Many regions of Italy like to claim eggplant parmesan as its own, but Clifford says it most likely originated in the South. Are you Italian? Have you been to Italy? I haven't. I wish I had. I was too busy with a lot of chaos in my life, so I, I never got there, even though I planned many trips there. Um, no, basically my origins are Austrian and Polish, so the way my family ate and cooked were nothing like my real taste. My father ate too heavy, and he died early of a heart attack when I was only 25, and I established a healthy regimen seriously from that time on. I wouldn't even eat a meal like I'm talking about. Unless it was close to my last because I'm not into creating an addiction. What is the significance of this meal? Why would this be your last meal? 
because it's out of the norm of my life. I would love to go to Italy someday, many years from now, and maybe near to when I would be not on this earth anymore and have a, a beautiful Italian meal in the countryside of Tuscany. You know, that would be nice. Yeah, it's like an indulgence, but it also sounds like a fantasy kind of wrapped up with this dream trip that you haven't gotten to take. Yeah. And that was Joanna Rohrbach's last meal. Check out our Prancer Size videos on YouTube or go to prancersize.com. Well, I think that's all my questions. Um, I know the question, it's rude to ask, so you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but can I ask how old you are? Oh, that's not rude at all. I'm proud of how old I am. Me too. I feel that way too. I hate when people lie about their age. I think if you lie and say you're younger, then it just makes you look older. (laughs) I agree. Yeah. I'm 67, going to be 68 in July, and um, I feel great. Thanks to Lori Dankers from TSA. Thanks to food scholar and cookbook author Clifford Wright, author of the book A Mediterranean Feast, which won a James Beard Award for Cookbook of the Year. This episode was produced by Laura Scott and me, theme music by Prom Queen. Make sure and follow along on Instagram, Your Last Meal Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed or following if you're listening on Spotify. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. Your Last Meal.